the key to happiness is compromise. If you want to have a good marriage, you just have to be really good at compromise. And that is just entirely wrong. If you want a bland, pleasant companionship, then by all means compromise because that's what you'll get. But if you want dynamic intimacy and erotic expansion and tenderness and adventure of various kinds in your relationship, then uncompromising intimacy is the way to go. This is episode number 557 with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell. We're going to be talking about intimacy and why you should be uncompromising in your intimacy. I'm super excited to bring Dr. Stockwell to you. She is She's got so much uh, to share, so much expertise in so many areas, and we're going to get to her in a minute, but I wanted to welcome you back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date, and to support you on your journey to lasting love, I've written two books. The first one is called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And I came up with the term woman of value when I realized that so many of my clients really didn't value themselves deeply. And a lot of what was going on in their lives in general, whether it was through work or love life, was because they didn't really own their value. And so in this book, there are 30 chapters and they all deal with different parts of owning your value, of speaking up, of showing up in your life at full value, reaching your potential. The second book is called Choice Points in Dating. And this book is to empower women to make healthier decisions in love. And again, I just found that so many people were saying, I don't really have a choice. I am this way because of how I was brought up or I've had relationships that have always been bad. I've always attracted the bad boy or the bad girl. And that's why I'm gonna do it again and again. And so I wrote this book to really get clarity around how we make our choices, how you can make healthier choices, and whether to stay or go, and just so many aspects of the dating process. It's sort of a handbook for dating, but so much more. So you can get both of these books on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. And this week's tip on becoming a woman of value is step number 27. Be proactive, not reactive. And this is really from the work I do in communication skills and boundaries. We often are reactive in conversation because we haven't really prepared. We haven't prepared for how the conversation is going to go. We haven't prepared ourselves for being centered. And so when, let's say, we know we're going to have a tough conversation, if you can really prepare as much as you can, what was my part? What do I want to say? How do I want to say it? There's so much less reactivity and there's so much more connection. And we are going to be talking about connection and intimacy with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell in just a second. So my challenge to you is if you are finding yourself being really reactive in conversation, just take a pause. Pausing is always good and really try and prepare for what you're going to say next without just saying what's first on your mind, because often that is something that just pushes the person away. And before I bring on our guest, I just want to invite you, if you're not yet a member, to join Your Last First Date, my Facebook group. It's a fabulous place. I just love my monitors who keep this page safe and sound and 
focused on positive growth, very rare in the world of Facebook groups, especially for single women. So if that appeals to you, please join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell is also known as the intimacy doctor. She's known for her ability to catalyze immediate and profound shifts in high achieving couples who want it all, genuine emotional connection, sensual passion, and erotic intimacy. She is a physician and a coach and an intimate marriage expert. And she's the best-selling author of the book, Uncompromising Intimacy. She's also the host of the Intimate Marriage Podcast. And if that's not enough, she's a wife of 27 years and the mother of four children. How does she find time to do it all? (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. What a magnificent introduction. And I just, while listening, was thinking, you know, becoming a woman of value and choice points, it's different languaging, but I think those are the things which make for good dating. And those are the things that make for good long lasting relationships also. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I am curious how you went from being a physician to becoming an intimate marriage expert. What was the catalyst for all that? Well, I could say this from a few different points of view. But one is that when I was in my mid 30s, I had a small holistic medical practice north of Boston. And I had spent about 15 years getting to that point in terms of medical school, residency training, just learning to be competent and really giving my life to doing that. And in addition, I was married. We had three of our four children at that point and was, of course, involved with my family. And when I thought how hard I had worked and how I had anticipated feeling a sense of contentment and satisfaction, like I'd arrived, I didn't really have that feeling. And if I had been 65 at the time, it wouldn't have been a problem. But when I anticipated another four years of living my life that way, practicing medicine, I liked being a doctor, but there was something, something that just wasn't I guess what I had anticipated. And when I dug deeper, I just really felt like everything I was doing was for a purpose. Now that can be wonderful, but I don't mean it that way. It's that everything I did was a means to an end. Even going on vacation was in order to accomplish certain things. And I kind of along the way lost my my ability to just do things because they lit me up or because they felt good or really, I know that this sounds vague, but as someone who had worked so hard to get to where I was, I realized that I'd arrived somewhere which wasn't actually where I wanted to live for the rest of my life. And I couldn't quite figure it out. Another thing is that I prioritize my patients over my family and my family over myself. And I couldn't It wasn't about time management because I was doing a lot of things, but there's just a way in which I felt like I wasn't quite calibrated. I wasn't quite in tune as the human being and woman I wanted to be. And I wasn't, I didn't know what it looked like. I felt kind of confused, but certain about the things that I'm saying. And I ended up taking a sabbatical. And during that time, 
I gave myself unscheduled time. I gave myself permission to do things just because I felt like it. I took a painting class. I sat by the river and watched it. Like, it really was a very new way of moving through my life. And one thing led to another. And I felt like I figured out how to bring Technicolor into a lot of my life, but not yet in the bedroom. And once I learned how to do that, I really have devoted my life to showing others how to do so as well. I, I can picture your black and white life turning into color. And if anybody's watching this on YouTube, we've got a black and white background, but we've got the <laughs> color for a shirt on. We have like the colorful version of Alexandra. Yes. I, I love that. I can relate so much to your story because one of the reasons I became a, a dating coach and first a life coach was because I had been an artist my whole life and found it to be something that I loved but didn't feel valued for. Mm. And I never felt I could charge what my worth was and it was sort of this really hard work for very little return. And I wanted to be valued for all of me. And I was thinking like, what other parts of me have been unvalued or where do I come alive in the world? And I think just having that quiet time, I love how you talk about just taking that sabbatical. How many people actually stop and pause and stay silent and really listen to what's going on inside them. Not, not a lot. So I, I love your story. Thank you. And actually at the time, I didn't know any doctors who stepped away from medicine other than involuntarily due to addiction or illness or an accident, something where they really didn't have a choice. And so I actually had to move through a lot of shame to be able to make enough space in my life to really listen to my internal world in a new way. And I'm emphasizing that because I think that's really essential in being in relationship with oneself and in being in relationship with another person. People go right to shaming others because they don't fit into a, a box, into yes. what they think you should fit into. And it takes a lot of self-confidence to say, I'm going to do it anyway. And even if you don't know where you're going and where you're heading, and that uncertainty is really, really hard for people too. Like, I don't know if I can control the outcome. Like, how am I going to do that? Well, and if you ever think you can, <laughs> that's a different problem. <laughs> right. but, but I'm really inspired by uh, Steve Jobs having said, he has this great quote. I'm not sure if this is verbatim or not, but basically you can only connect the dots in hindsight. And so really to want to be able to see the path clearly, to know exactly how long you're going to date and, and you know how long it's going to take to meet someone and then how long until the engagement, like all of that is just completely false. It's really in hindsight that we can see the perfection of our journey. Mm, I love that. So let's talk about marriages and long-term relationships and why so many of them lack passion. I mean, you talked about your own relationships. So what are some of the reasons why? I think it really stems from 
an extremely widespread misconception because throughout the Western world, it's possible throughout the whole world, but certainly throughout the Western world, the most common relationship advice that is given is that you need to compromise. If you want a happy, you're not supposed to, when you're dating, don't compromise on the guy, assuming you're a woman and it's a heteronormative context, you know, don't compromise on whom you pick. But once you're with them, the key to happiness is compromise. If you want to have a good marriage, you just have to be really good at compromise. And that is just entirely wrong. If you want a bland, pleasant companionship, then by all means, compromise because that's what you'll get. But if you want dynamic intimacy and erotic expansion and tenderness and adventure of various kinds in your relationship, then uncompromising intimacy is the way to go. And I need to explain that because when I think of compromise, I think of withholding who you are, your desires, your feelings, even your challenges sometimes, withholding what's alive in your internal world so that your partner is comfortable. The priority with compromise is that your partner is comfortable. And when it comes to uncompromising intimacy, I don't mean the sense of uncompromise where you always get your own way. What I mean is that you learn how to share who you are, how to bring your whole self, your desires, your feelings, whatever it is, you learn how to bring them in a way that your partner can receive them and ideally share with you as well. So to get back to your question, why, why do relationships lack intimacy? I think we have an epidemic of conflict-free, passion-free relationships. And in both cases, I'm not for conflict for its own sake, of course, but when you compromise who you are, it's not really possible to be fully expressed in the bedroom if you're not in the day-to-day, -day, if you have a life with someone. I have seen this my own in my own marriage and in so many others where people don't know the difference between compromise, settling, um, sometimes some compromise is important, right? You, you were distinguishing between the kind of compromise where you don't always get your way because that's not a relationship, that's just about you. Right. But, the, but compromise in the sense that you lose yourself in order to make the other person shine or be comfortable. And I just remember thinking in my marriage, like I was willing to make so many compromises and I lost myself. And it felt terrible because he was not willing to give in the ways that I was willing to give. And the passion wasn't there. And so when, when you're giving up what's important in order to make the other person comfortable, both people aren't getting their needs met. So tell us a little bit more about the harm of this level of compromise. The way that I think about it is it's almost like one feels you have to amputate parts of yourself in order to participate in the relationship or you drop off aspects of your personality before you walk in the door to be at home. And for the most part, yes, 
we lose ourselves in the way you said, but actually it becomes such a habit that we don't even realize that's happened. So I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm guessing you have, but you'll be able to say, but when I speak with women who maybe they've been married for 20 years, maybe they are not married. Either way, when I sit down with a woman who's let's say 45 or 50, who's generous, who's done a lot of caretaking, who probably could rattle off what everyone important in her life needs at that, not in that instant, but you know, like her children, her partner, like she's gonna know what they need. And I say to her, what do you desire? And she actually doesn't know. In fact, if you're listening, whatever your relationship situation, whatever your gender, like, what do you desire? And if your answer is, I don't know, that is a fair place to start. If you do know, that's wonderful. But if your answer is, well, I want my house to be clean and I want my partner to be nice to me, that doesn't count in what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what do you want in the sense of what is alive inside you? Not just to manage what's around you, but what do you want to bring out? What do you want to express? And the fact is that if we can't do that in the day to day, it's not possible to do that when erotic energy is flowing either. There's a, there's just a truth that when you have a life with someone, when you're living with them, certainly anything, which isn't sex functions as foreplay. Every interaction either brings you closer together or drives you further apart. So it is essential that if you're with a partner or you're not, you get in the habit of knowing what you want and learning to say it in a way that isn't blaming or accusatory or defensive or terribly indirect either, but is just honoring of who you are. And I just want to say one more thing, which is that this can sneak up in really um, like invisible ways. An example is if there's a woman, let's say she loves some Ethiopian food, we'll say, and her partner and children love Italian food. And so for years, whenever they go out to eat, they just go for Italian because she can find something there that she enjoys. When it comes to uncompromising intimacy, I'm not saying drag everybody to Ethiopian food if they don't wanna eat there, but at a minimum, make sure that your partner knows that you're craving Ethiopian and you're fine going to Italian tonight, but you want them to know that your desire is for Ethiopian food. Because if you both know, you can come up with some great solutions. Maybe you go get Ethiopian food or you go with a girlfriend and you meet up together at home. Maybe you get takeout and eat in a park and everyone has something. There are many ways to maneuver when you're willing to let your partner know what actually is alive inside you. And so, when we're sort of dead inside in these ways, that inevitably transfers to our genitals and other flavors of intimacy. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way you described it, using food, because I think that's very relatable. I have seen so many couples where only one person's needs are met and the other person is afraid to really ask for what they want. And even in friendships, 
I had yes. a client once who wouldn't ask for what she wanted to eat with her friends and she had specific eating restrictions. And I have seen people who are just starting out dating, who are just yesing everything and not asserting themselves. And I can tell you that when I am with somebody who is clear about what they like and don't like, it gives me a sense of safety. I, I had a friend and I've talked about her on the podcast who meditated every day and we would go out together and she would always make time for meditation. And I knew, I knew she was going to, she would say at three o'clock, I am going to meditate. Let's find a place. And that was it. I knew ahead of time, I respected it. And she was consistent. These are the people who show up. These are the people who say what they mean and mean what they say. And there is a sense of safety there. But does that become boring in a long-term relationship? <laughs> okay, well, I'd like to just say one thing before I answer that question, because you've described the safety, the consistency, the reliability, really the benefit of someone saying what they want and need. And I want to just say a word about if they don't say it, because if you're not saying what you want and need, you're basically making it impossible that someone else can win with you. Because if you don't say that you'd like some quiet at three to be able to meditate, but that is actually what you'd like, the likelihood that the person you're with is going to stumble across the idea of saying, oh, it's three o'clock. Would you like some time for yourself is close to nil. So it's both creating safety and also creating the possibility of having your needs met, which you summarily destroy that possibility if you don't express what they are. Now, does that become boring? You know, I don't think about it that way at all, that it becomes boring to say your needs. There, there are going to be ways of expressing it based on personality and the feeling in the relationship. But I really think knowing your needs is not, that never becomes boring or expressing them. The thing that becomes boring, and this really becomes boring and this happens all the time, is that we dial down our curiosity and interest in the other person and sometimes in ourselves as well. So when I think back to the feeling of being in love, it is just filled with curiosity. When you meet someone, when you're first dating, it's like, where is that scar from? And what kind of vegetables did you like when you were a child? And if you weren't in this profession, what profession would you be in? It can be more whimsical, like, where would you love to live? Or if you were president, you know, what policies would you make? I just mean to convey that we have curiosity at so many different levels. And there's something really wonderful about finding a partner, things become familiar. You stop asking questions because you already know what the answers are. And that safety and security is one of the benefits of being in a relationship. So I don't ever want to imply that should be eroded in any way. It just shouldn't come at the cost of curiosity. So for me, it's less that it becomes boring to know one's needs and state them, and more that it becomes boring when you're no longer learning new things about 
your partner and in the process yourself, because we all continue to grow and evolve. And if our relationship doesn't have room for the growth and evolution to be included and integrated, that's where we end up in a compromised situation. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. Yeah, the curiosity piece is so important. And people tend to just get into a rut and not be curious and not really check in with the other person too. I, I found in my marriage, one of the things that took away passion was if my husband would buy me something that wasn't really what I wanted. Yes. And I would thank him and say, I really appreciate the gift. Can we go shopping together next time so that I could pick out what I really like? And then he would shut down and say, I'm never buying you anything again. So it's that curiosity piece or the, let me know you, let me know your favorite foods and your favorite jewelry and your favorite outfits so that I can surprise you. And it actually will be a surprise you might like, and I can take feedback well, and I can incorporate that because I'm so interested in you. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the example you gave, because, as you know, I coach couples in relationships. And so I can really see when it comes to dating the importance of saying, what kinds of jewelry you like, or what kind, you know, what, what kinds of trinkets would be appealing or whatever it is. And there's a way to receive the other person more fully and say what you want. So I want to really emphasize that it's a both and that there's a way that to communicate to the husband who's gotten the gift, which really just, I, I know this one too, where my husband used to buy me gifts and I would respond in a way that was all about his experience because I would just be left feeling unseen because what he got just didn't, interest me, but it wasn't actually going to work to just say what I wanted, maybe not as gracefully as you did. I needed to also experience his intention. In other words, I needed to really receive what he meant for me to experience and then adjust, um, what what might happen in the future. And I think another way of saying this, which is a useful concept is most people are familiar with the five love languages, right? With um, quality time, acts of service, um, words of affirmation, touch and gifts. And so we all like to think, okay, you know, I have my love language, you have your love language. And so if I want you to feel loved, I need to do what your love language is. And if I'm going to feel loved, you really need to do what my love language is. And 
if there's a relationship that's in a time of crisis or it's really there's a lot of disconnection then i think the five love languages are very useful and can help create more connection but if and this is true if you're not in a relationship as well but i'm going to say it in the context of if you are in a relationship and things are going well i really think the key in the context of uncompromising intimacy and more full expression of our humanity is to learn to be able to receive the love no matter which way it's expressed and also to genuinely give love on each of those different channels that we want to expand our range of how we are present and how we share and how we're available for connection with another person so how does that sound to you in terms of how I'm framing that? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think when we've been hurt over and over and don't feel seen again and again and again, it's really hard to put yourself in the other person's shoes and try and and even get curious about what were you thinking because you're going what were you thinking so yes, yes. it's all in the tone that was a magnificent example <laughs> um, but i love the whole concept of uncompromising intimacy i think that like what you said about the foreplay that happens in every interaction when somebody is really aware of the other person throughout the day and the little things matter. I've seen long-term couples who the husband just wants to have sex. He doesn't really want to con connect emotionally. And so let's talk about the, the longer term relationships. Cause I'm, I'm imagining that in newer relationships, we can sort of set up some of these things early on if we're aware and we have the tools but in the long lasting ones where we get into a rut or a routine and it gets kind of same old, same old. And especially if you're raising young children, that's yes. like one of the most difficult times of somebody's life and you have money issues. I mean, there's life happens. Yes. Um, so how, how do people in these long-term relationships reconnect to the kind of intimacy that really matters to them when their partner keeps not hearing them? The first thing really is to bring more open-ended questions into conversations in the way that I was saying before. I, I will answer more directly what you're asking, but I, I really want to emphasize this. In fact, I'll just quickly tell a story that I gave a talk on communication, marital communication, and talked a lot about vulnerability and curiosity. And there was a woman in the audience who'd been married for 32 years who had a good marriage. She didn't actually choose to attend my talk. She was just there because she had was going to go to the one afterwards and she arrived early. And so anyway, she went home and she asked her husband a few open-ended questions. She thought, no big deal, like, how could this really matter? But she asked a few open-ended questions and listened generally, generously to the answer. And she contacted me the next day and said, I didn't even ask him anything that important, but just bringing my attention that way and genuinely curious and listening to the answers, we, were, we felt more intimate than we had in five years and we had the most beautiful lovemaking. So now that's not always the end all and be all but i really want to emphasize that 
genuinely connecting with someone with curiosity where their answer is neither right nor wrong. It's just their answer and you receive it. That really functions in a lubricating manner. Let me just say that. Mm. Now for the husband in a heteronormative marriage where he just wants sex, it's so important to remember that by and large, either people want to feel connected in order to have sex or they have sex in order to feel connected. And so it really, for the woman married to someone who just wants to have sex, open to the possibility that it's not because he wants to use you. It's not because he wants to engage in some physiological function so he can get to sleep. It is literally his way of expressing love. Now that is someone who unlike what I was saying earlier, has a very narrow expression of love and it would behoove them to expand it, but they're not going to just do that because you say so. So I actually was coaching a client recently on in this very situation and it really shifted things which she could see, oh, when I don't have sex with him, he doesn't feel loved and that's why his temper is shorter and that is why he becomes kind of a jerk. And when we have sex, then he's so much better. And she was thinking, oh, I don't want to have sex with him if he's behaving like a jerk, because I don't want to reward him for the bad behavior. But that is taking a parent-child approach, which always kills erotic passion. So in that situation, if you can connect with your womanliness and maybe listen to some erotica, do a striptease by yourself in front of the mirror. In other words, provide your own foreplay so that you are juicy and genuine. Then you can have sex and really emphasize the love you feel like there is a way to build on this. I'll stop there. There's more to say, but how is that landing? Um, I, I like it a lot. I think that it, what it points to is reframing, which is such an important thing for most parts of relationships when we can see things from the other person's point of view again, that a lot of men use sex as a, a means of connection. And a lot of women use emotional connection to prepare for sex. And so if we have that need and the other person has a different need, Yes, we can provide our own erotica and our own foreplay and all that stuff. I'm just concerned about the long-term effects of never getting that from the other person. So, Okay, well, let me speak to that because yeah. what I just said is really for the empowered woman who already has sexual confidence and just wants to know how the two can be more connected. Another thing, let me just say very clearly, is this comes up especially when there are children and a kitchen to clean up and so on and so forth. It may be very obvious to the woman that if her husband would just help with bedtimes and kitchen cleanup, she'd be much more available for sex. And he literally has never had that thought. So if that is the case, don't assume it. You know, whatever, this is not emotional connection, but it's other things that feed in because when you feel supported, when you feel like you're helped, that also contributes to emotional connection. And in that situation, 
um, say, you know what would really turn, and listen, it's not, I just wish you'd do the dishes. No, you know what would really turn me on and help me get ready for sex is if you would help with bedtime and the kitchen would be clean when I'm done putting this child to sleep. Like there's a way that we can be very practical in saying what would contribute. Now for the man who only wants sex and no emotional connection, I have to tell you that while I know that that exists, that is not something that I deal with. I am very familiar with men who are just disconnected both emotionally and sexually. That's one challenge. And then there are men who want sex and actually also want emotional connection and have never seen how to do that. They just don't even, and they might not even say that that's the case because they don't even have the language because the men who are 40, 50, 60 and older, like they were raised with permission to have one emotion, anger. And they were, most of them just raised both in homes and in schools and in society where any other emotions were, were kind of taboo, quite frankly. And you can't really create emotional intimacy with anger the way you can with other emotions. So somebody who really wants to have sex and is totally uninterested in emotional connection doesn't actually want a relationship. I think I would generalize that way. I'm sure that there are always exceptions, but what I'm trying to say is I think if a woman thinks her husband just wants sex, that she probably is not perceiving his desire for emotional connection and his complete incompetence and inadequacy in accessing it and her being critical and blaming and seeing him as incompetent is not encouraging. Let me just say um, a couple that I coached years ago, it, he, it, it wasn't the same situation because they weren't having sex. They hadn't had sex in about eight or nine months when I coached them and she really wanted to. And she thought he didn't want to. But when it came to it as a result of coaching together, what emerged is that he really wanted to be having sex. He just couldn't bear disappointing her. And he had no way to say that. So she thought he was no longer attractive. She was a very beautiful woman, but she thought, well, she was aging. What I'm trying to say is people have all kinds of stories and shoulds layered on top. And it's just actually rare that a man only wants sex and much more common that he has no idea how to even connect with the part of himself that would want more than that. And so then the question is, does she want to help or is she out of there? Does she not want to help with that? First of all, I love the compassionate point of view that you bring because I, I'm really fascinated by how men were raised and that we need to really open up these conversations. I think that so many people assume things 
about other people that are not true. And so I'm all about the curiosity and really asking questions and getting curious about how, what somebody's internal life is, because otherwise we don't know. We're just seeing them through our eyes, through a defensive mode, oftenly, oftentimes. And just knowing that men are not often raised to express emotions. I mean, I wasn't raised to express emotions. They were tried to be stomped out of me. I mean, it's like, don't worry, don't fear, don't do anything, don't don't have any big emotions, they're scary. And so I raised my son to be an emotionally intelligent person and hopefully prepare the next generation for these more emotionally intelligent and interested, interesting people. But for people of the generation that I grew up in, they were not raised with emotions. And so thank, thank goodness there are people out there who are helping men, who there are men's groups, there are ways for men to find support and to start feeling less emasculated by the way that people see them. And, the, you know, it's a confusing time. I mean, it's, it's just so much with with the Me Too movement and how do I assert myself and am I allowed to take a woman and hold her up against the wall and take her or do I have to ask permission for everything? I mean, there's just so many layers of this. Yes, and for the circumstance where a man, quote, just wants sex, I'm I'm inspired just thinking about it more and with what you just said, then I would encourage a woman in a relationship like that to this needs to be done without blame and real curiosity but even during sex or right after sex or quite honestly any other time ask him what does he love about sex and if he says it just feels good then you can say thank you and let it go and bring it up again or keep going in that conversation and say well what are the emotional feelings you have when we're having sex. Like it may be that there is more feeling during sex that this man has access to than any other time. So use that to build upon. And I recommend that she says some of her feelings during sex as well. And if that conversation goes well, it's not likely to be the easiest conversation, but it's one you can return to. You don't have to get it right the first time. But after there's Actually, let me make this very practical. And this is something that anyone can do. It's, it's a very rich exercise. But after having sex, while you're lying there together, to take turns sharing moments of the experience that you enjoyed and to do so in the first person. So rather than saying, um, I really liked when you touched me in such and such a way, to say, I really liked when you were touching me that way because I felt really cared for or it felt electric in my body or it was so peaceful or whatever it is. Like when it comes to sex, any kind of feeling, you know, those are all happy ones. It could be other ones too. But if you get into a kind of beautiful conversation expressing the experience during sex, you can then build from there to having more, quote, feeling conversations the rest of the time as well. Because 
I really believe that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. And so wherever two people are, as long as they want to be together and are willing to put attention into up-leveling the relationship, starting wherever they are is a perfectly fine place to start and expansion can happen from there. I love that. Well, this is a good place to wind down and wind up for anyone who wants to go on their last first date. And I always ask this question, what are your final words of advice? Okay. Well, actually knowing this question was coming, I wanted to weave in a story because there's, it's on the last first date podcast that I can tell it, but I met my husband the first week of medical school. We were both first year students and I, I kind of had a sense. I knew he was going to be the one. And so we got to know one another. And after a few weeks, he asked me out and I actually postponed our first date because there was someone else that I wanted to have a little fling with. And so I wanted to post postpone the first date so I could have my last pre first pre last first date activities and then <laughs> be with my husband for the next 29 years now. So in terms of advice for a last first date, I think my advice is to be as true to yourself as you possibly can, because any last first date that's going to lead to the relationship you want to be in should be with who you really are. And if it, if you're behaving in ways that aren't really true to you, then let's hope it's not your last first date. So you show up as your true self, you will attract a person who is aligned with who you are. And you will be in a relationship that doesn't require upheaval for you to be who you really are. Both. Yeah, really, really important, which is a skill set that most of us don't know coming out of the gate. <laughs> so it's a, it's really an important place to continue to really work on being more vulnerable, me be more authentic and speak up, ask for your needs to be met. For the rest of our them. lives. Yes, yes. It is not a one and done, right? Um, so Alexander, you have a free gift for our audience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So my book, Uncompromising Intimacy, actually people who are married read it, but people who aren't really enjoy learning the skills and practice them both when they date and with other people in their lives, because it's communication skills for how to be more authentic. And that is something to practice in every situation. So the first chapter is really asking the questions so many of us have, is it possible to have a really great relationship? And I detail some of the considerations as you explore that question. I love that. And the chapter's called this companionship as good as it gets. I, you know, the, the whole topic of people looking for sparks and constant sparks and that that's where, where they become attracted to somebody. And then there's the flip side of a safe relationship where it's just companionship. And so we're going to get into this uncompromising intimacy relationship and your book helps people get there. So I love that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's available on your website, which is Alexandra Stockwell. 
space, uh, alexandrastockwell.com. And then the gift is at uncompromising, forward slash uncompromising intimacy. All of it will be in the show notes along with Instagram, LinkedIn, all of your social media. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I, I love the work you're doing. I think it is, is it was a good pivot for you. <laughs> you're filling a nice uh, niche and a, a, a void that is out there because so many people have these companionship, boring, um, no passion relationships, or they're, they're leaving. And it's not always the, the right move. So thank you. Yes, I mean, I really want to change the cultural narrative so much more as possible. And I'm grateful for an opportunity to share it with more people. Well, thank you. And thanks, everybody for listening today. If you love our show, we really appreciate when you give us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts, follow our show, share the show with people. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application.